Chapter Twenty Four of Unleavened Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unleavened Bread by Robert Grant. Chapter Twenty Four. The incidents of the next two days previous to her attendance at the evening reception at the White House restored Selma's equanimity. She had the satisfaction of being present at the opening ceremonies of the House of Representatives, and of beholding her husband take the oath of office. She was proud of Lyons as she looked down on him from the gallery, standing in the aisle by his allotted seat. She was holding an improvised reception for a number of his colleagues, showed themselves desirous to make his acquaintance. She noticed that he appeared already on familiar terms with some of his fellow members, that he drew men, or was drawn aside for, whispered confidences, that he joked knowingly with others, and that always, as he chatted, his large, round, smooth face, relieved by its chin-beard, wore an aspect of bland dignity and shrewd reserve wisdom. It pleased her to be assisting at the dedication of a fresh page of national history, a page yet unwritten, but on which she hoped that her own name would be inscribed sooner or later by those who should seek to trace the complete causes of her husband's usefulness and genius. Another source of satisfaction was the visit paid them the day before at the hotel by one of the United States Senators from their own state, Mr. Calkins. The two parties in their own state were so evenly divided that one of the Senators in office happened to be a Republican and his colleague a Democrat. Mr. Calkins belonged to her husband's party, yet he suggested that they might enjoy a private audience with the President, with whom, notwithstanding political differences of opinion, Mr. Calkins was on friendly terms. This was the sort of thing which Selma aspired to, and the experience did much to lighten her heart. She enjoyed the distinction of seeing guarded doors open at their approach, and of finding herself shaking hands with the chief magistrate of the nation at a special interview. The president was very affable, and was manifestly aware of Lyons's triumph at the expense of his own party, and of his consequent political importance. He treated the manner banteringly, and Selma was pleased at her ability to enter into the spirit of his persiflage and to reciprocate. In her opinion, solemnity would have been more consistent with his position as the official representative of the people of the United States and his jocose manifestations at a time when serious conversation seemed to be in order was a disappointment intended to confirm her previous distrust of him as the leader of the opposite party she had hoped he would broach some vital topics of political interest so that she would have the opportunity to give expression to her own views in regard to public questions nevertheless as the president saw fit to be humorous she was glad that she understood how to meet and answer his bantering sallies she felt sure that Lyons, were he ever to occupy this dignified office, would refrain from ill-timed levity. But she bore in mind also the policy of consolation, which which she had learned from her husband, and concealed her true impressions. She noticed that both Lyons and Mr. Calkins forbear to show dissatisfaction, and she reflected that, though the President's tone was light, there was nothing else in his appearance or bearing to convict him of sympathy with lack of enthusiasm and with cynicism. It would have destroyed all the enjoyment of her interview had she been forced to conclude that a man who did not take himself seriously and his duties seriously could be elected president of the United States. She was not willing to believe this, but her suspicions were so far aroused that she congratulated herself that her political opponents were responsible for his election. Nevertheless, she was delighted by the distinction of the private audience, and by the episode at its close, which gave her opportunity to show her individuality, said the President gallantly as she was taking leave, Will you permit me to congratulate Congressman Lyons on his good fortune in the affairs of the heart as well as the Republic? 
"'If you say things like that, Mr. President,' interjected Lyons, "'you will turn her head. She will become a Republican, and then where should I be?' While she perceived that the President was still inclined to levity, the compliment pleased Selma. Yet though she appreciated that her husband was merely humoring him by his reply, she did not like the suggestion that any flattery could affect her principles. She shook her head coquettishly and said, "'James, I'm sure the President thinks too well of American women to believe that any admiration, however gratifying, would make me lukewarm in devotion to my party.' This speech appeared to her opposite and called for, and she departed in high spirits, which were illuminated by the thought that the administration was not wholly to be trusted. On the following evening, Selma went to the reception at the White House. The process of arrival was trying to her patience, for they were obliged to await their turn in the long file of carriages. She could not but disapprove of the democratic character of the entertainment, which anyone who desired to behold and shake hands with the chief magistrate was free to attend. Still, it again crossed her mind that, as an official's wife, she ought to have been given precedence. Their turn to alight came at last, and they took their places in the procession of visitors on its way through the East Room to the spot where the President and his wife, assisted by some of the ladies of the Cabinet, were submitting to the ordeal of receiving the nation. There was a veritable crush in which there was every variety of evening toilette, a display essentially in keeping with the doctrines which Selma felt that she stood for. She took occasion to rejoice in Lyons's ear at the realization of her anticipations in this respect. At the same time, she was agreeably stimulated by the belief that her wedding dress was sumptuous and stylish, and her appearance striking. Her head had been dressed as elaborately as possible. She wore all her jewelry, and she carried a bouquet of costly roses. Her wish was to regard the function as the height of social demonstration, and she had spared no pains to make herself effect. She had esteemed it her duty to do so both as a congressman's wife and as a champion of moral and democratic ideas. The crowd was oppressive, and three times the train of her dress was stepped on to her discomfiture. Amid the sea of faces, she recognized a few of the people she had seen at the hotel. It struck her that no one of the women was dressed so elegantly as herself, an observation which cheered her, and yet was not without its thorn. But the music, the lights, and the variegated movement of the scene kept her senses absorbed and interfered with introspection, until at last they were close to the receiving party. Selma fixed her eyes on the president, expecting recognition. Like her husband, the president possessed a gift of faces, and the faculty of rallying all his energies to the important task of remembering who people were. An usher asked and announced the names, but the chief magistrate's perceptions were kept hard at work. His how-do-you-do, Congressman Lyons, I'm very glad to see you here, Mrs. Lyons, were uttered with a smiling spontaneity, which to his own soul meant a momentary agreeable relaxation of the nerves of memory resembling the easy flourish with which a gymnast engaged in lifting heavy weight encounters a wooden dumbbell. But though his eyes and voice were flattering, Selma had barely completed the little bob of a courtesy which accompanied her act of shaking hands when she discovered that the machinery of the national custom was not to halt on their account, and that she must proceed without being able to renew the half-flirtatious interview of the previous day. She proceeded to courtesy to the President's wife, and to the row of wives of members of the Congress who were assisting, before she could adequately observe them, she found herself beyond and apart once more of a heterogeneous crush, the current of which she aimlessly followed on her husband's arm. She was suspicious of the device of curtsying. Why had not President's wife and the cabinet ladies shaken hands with her and given her an opportunity to make their acquaintance? Could it be that the administration was aping foreign manners and adopting affet and, and aristocratic usages? What do we do now? she asked of Lyons as they drifted along. 
Well, I'd like to find Horace Elton and introduce him to you. I caught a glimpse of him further on just before we reached the president. Horace knows all the ropes and can tell us who everybody is. Selma had heard her husband refer to Horace Elton on several occasions in terms of respectful and somewhat mysterious consideration. She had gathered in a general way that he was a far-reaching and formidable power in matters political and financial, besides being the president and active organizer of the energetic corporation known as the Consumers Gaslight Company of their own state. As they proceeded, she kept her eyes on the alert for a man described by Lyons as short, heavy-built, and neat-looking, with small side-whiskers and a closed-mouthed expression. When they were not far from the door of exit from the East Room, someone on the edge of the procession accosted her husband, who drew her after him in that direction. Selma found herself in a sort of eddy occupied by half a dozen people engaged in observing the passing show, and in the presence of Mr. and Mrs. Gregory Williams. It was Mr. Williams who had diverted them. He now renewed his acquaintance with her, exclaiming, My wife insisted that she had met you driving with someone she believed to be your husband. I had heard that Congressman Lyons was on his bridal tour, and now everything is clear. Flossie, you are right as usual, and it seems that our hearty congratulations are in order to two old friends. William spoke with his customary contagious confidence. Selma noted that he was stouter, and that his hair was becoming streaked with gray. Had not her attention been on the lookout for his wife, she might have noticed that his eye wore a restless, strained expression, despite his august banker's manner and showy gallantry. She did observe that the moment he made way for Flossie, he turned to Lyons and began to talk to him in a subdued tone under the guise of watching the procession. The two women confronted each other with spontaneous forgetfulness of the past. There was a shade of haughtiness in Selma's greeting. She was prepared to respect her husband's policy and to ignore the circumstances under which they had parted. But she wished Flossie to understand that this was an act of condensation on her part as a congressman's wife, whose important social status was beyond question. She was so thoroughly imbued with this sense of her indisputable superiority that she readily mistook Flossie's affability for fawning, whereas that young woman's ingenuous friendliness was the result of a warning sentence from Gregory when Selma and her husband were seen approaching keep a check on your tongue floss this statesman with a beard like a goat is likely to have a political future i felt sure it was you the other day flossie said with smiling sprightliness but i had not heard of your marriage to mr lyons we were married at benham six weeks ago we are to live in benham we have bought the house there which belonged to mr parsons we have just returned from visiting the superb scenery of the yosemite and the rocky mountains and it made me prouder than ever of my country if Congressman Lyons had not been obliged to be present at the opening of Congress, we should have spent our honeymoon in Europe. Gregory and I passed last summer abroad yachting. We crossed on a steamer and had our yacht meet us there. Isn't it a jam tonight? There seem to be a great many people. I suppose you came on from New York on purpose for this reception? Mercy, no. We are staying with friends, and we hadn't intended to come tonight, but we had been dining out and were dressed, so we thought we'd drop in and show our patriotism. It's destruction to close, and I'm glad I haven't worn my best. Selma perceived Flossie's eye making a note of her own elaborate costume, and the disagreeable suspicion that she was overdressed reasserted itself. She had already observed that Mrs. Williams's toilet, though stylish, was comparatively simple. How could one be overdressed on such an occasion? What more suitable time for an American woman to wear her choicest apparel than when paying her respects to the President of the United States? She noticed that Flossie seemed unduly at her ease, as though the importance of the ceremony was lost on her, and that the group of people with whom Flossie had been talking, and who stood a little apart, were obviously indulging in quiet mirth at the expense of some of those in the procession. Are the friends with whom you are staying connected with the government? Selma asked airily. 
Official people? Goodness, no. But I can point out to you everybody who is, for we have been in Washington frequently during the last three sessions. Gregory has to run over here on business every now and then, and I almost always come with him. Tonight is the opportunity to see the queer people in all their glory, the woolly curiosities, as Gregory calls them, and a sprinkling of the real celebrities, too, she added. Selma's inquiry had been put with a view to satisfy herself that Flossie's friends were mere civilians, but she was glad of an opportunity to be enlightened as to the names of her fellow officials, though she resented Flossie's flippant tone regarding the character of the entertainment. While she listened to the breezy, running commentary by which Flossie proceeded to identify for her benefit the conspicuous figures in the procession, she nursed her offended sensibilities. I should suppose, she said, taking advantage of a pause, that on such an occasion as this everybody worth knowing would be present. Flossie gave Selma one of her quick glances. She had not forgotten the past, nor her discovery of the late Mrs. Littleton's real grievance against her and the world, nor did she consider that her husband's caveat debarred her from the amusement of worrying the wife of the Honorable James O'Ryans Provided it could be done by means of the truth ingenuously uttered, she said with a confident smile, the important and interesting political people have other opportunities to meet one another at dinner parties and less promiscuous entertainments than this and the washington people have other opportunities to meet them of course the president is a dear and everyone makes a point of attending a public reception once in a while but this sort of thing isn't exactly an edifying society event for instance notice the woman in the pomegranate velvet with two diamond sprays in her hair that's the wife of senator coleman his child wife so they call her she came to washington six years ago as the wife of a member of the house from one of the wild and woolly states and was notoriously then in the hotel corridors on account of her ringletty raven hair and the profusion of rings she wore she used to make eyes at the hotel guests and romp with her husband's friends in the hotel parlors which was the theatre of her social activities her husband died and a year ago she married old senator coldman old enough to be her grandfather and one of the very rich and influential men in the senate now she has developed social ambition and is anxious to entertain they have hired a large house for the winter and are building a larger one as mrs polson that was her first husband's name she was invited nowhere except to wholesale official functions like this the wife of a United States senator with plenty of money can generally attract a following. She is somebody, and it happens that people are amused by Mrs. Coleman's eccentricities. She still overdresses and makes eyes, and she nudges those who sit next to her at the table, but she is good-natured, says whatever comes into her head, and has a strong sense of humor. So she is getting on. Getting on among society, people, asked Selma dryly. Flossie's eyes twinkled. Society people is the generic name used for them in the newspapers. I mean that she is making friends among the women who live in the quarter where I passed you the other day. Selma frowned. It is not necessary, I imagine, to make friends of that class in order to have influence in Washington, the best kind of influence. I can readily believe that people of that sort would interest most of our public women very little. Very likely. I don't think you quite understand me, Mrs. Lyons, or we are talking across purposes. What I was trying to make clear is that political and social prominence in Washington are by no means synonymous. Of course, everyone connected with the government who desires to frequent Washington society and is socially available is received with open arms. But if people are not socially available, it by no means follows that they are able to command social recognition merely because they hold public office, except perhaps in the case of the wives of the cabinet, of the justices of the Supreme court or of rich and influential senators where a woman is absolutely bent on success and takes pain 
i refer particularly to the wives because a single man if he is reasonably presentable and ambitious can go about more or less even if he is a little rough for men are apt to be scarce but the line is drawn on the women unless they are like say really important and have to be tolerated for official reasons now every woman who is not persona grata as the diplomats say anywhere else is apt to attend the president's reception in all her finery and that's why i suggested that this sort of thing isn't exactly an edifying social event it's amusing to come here now and then just as it's amusing to go to a menagerie you see what i mean don't you flossie asked plying her feathery fan with blithe nonchalance and looking into her companion's face with an innocent air i understand perfectly and who are these people who draw the line it sometimes happens, continued Flossie abstractedly, without appearing to hear this inquiry, that they improve after they've been in Washington a few years. Take Mrs. Baker, the secretary of the interior's wife receiving tonight. When her husband came to Washington three years ago, she had the social adaptability of a solemn horse, but she persevered and learned, and now as a cabinet lady she unbends and is no longer afraid of compromising her dignity by wearing becoming clothes and smiling occasionally. But you are asking who the people are who draw the line. The nice people here, just as everywhere else, people who have been well-educated and have fine sensibilities, and who believe in modesty and unselfishness and thorough ways of doing things. You must know the sort of people I mean. Some of them make too much of mere manners, but as a class they are able to draw the line because they draw it in favor of distinction of character as opposed to, what should I call it, haphazard, custom-made ethics and social deportment. Flossie spoke with the artless prattle of one seeking to make herself agreeable to a newcomer by explaining the existing order of things. She had chosen her words, as she proceeded with special reference to her listener's case. There was nothing in her manner to suggest that she was trifling with the feelings of the wife of Honorable James O. Lyons, but to Selma's sensitive ear there was no doubt that the impertinent and unpatriotic tirade had been deliberately aimed at her. The closing words had a disagreeably familiar sound, save that they fell from seemingly friendly lips. They recalled the ban which Flossie had hurled at her at the close of their last meeting, the ban which had decided her to declare unwavering hostility against social exclusiveness. Its failed reiteration now made her nerves tingle, but, but the public affront stirred her less than the conclusion which the whole of Flossie's commentary suggested that Washington, Washington the hearthstone of American ideals, was contaminated also. Flossie had given her to understand that the houses that she had assumed to be occupied by members of the government were chiefly the residences of people resembling in character those whom she had disapproved of in New York. Flossie has intimated that unless a woman were hand in love with these people and ready to lower herself to their standards, she must be the wife of a rich senator to be tolerated. Flossie had virtually told her that a congressman's wife was nobody. Could this be true? The bitterest part of all that was that it was evident Flossie spoke with the assurance of one uttering familiar truths. Selma felt affronted and bitterly disappointed, but she chose to meet Mrs. Williams' innocent affability with composure, to let her see that she disagreed with her, but not to reveal her personal irritation. She must consider Lyons, whose swift political promotion was necessary for her plans. It was important that he should become rich, and if his relations with the firm of Williams and Van Horn tended to that end, no personal grievance of her own should disturb them. Even Flossie had conceded that the wives of the highest officials could not be ignored. I fear that we look at these matters from too different a standpoint to discuss them further, she responded with an effort at smiling ease. Evidently, you do not appreciate that to the majority of the strong women of the country, whose husbands have been sent to Washington as members of the government, social interests seem trivial compared with the great public questions they are required to consider. These women doubtless feel little inclination for fashionable and or frivolous festivities. 
and find an occasion like this better suited to their conception of social dignity a reply by flossie to this speech was prevented by the interruption of lyons who brought up mr horace elton for introduction to his wife selma knew him at once from his likeness to the description which her husband had given he was portly and thick-set with a large neck a strong unemotional high-coloured face and closely shaven small side whiskers he made her a low bow and after a few moments of conversation in the course of which he let fall a complimentary allusion to her husband's oratorical abilities and gave her to understand that he considered lyons's marriage as a wise and envy proceeding he invited her to promenade the room on his arm mr elton had a low but clear and dispassionate voice and a concise utterance his remarks gave the impression that he could impart more on any subject if he chose and that what he said proceeded from a reserved fund of special secret knowledge a little of which he was willing to confide to his listener he enlightened selma in a few words as to a variety of the people present accompanying his identification with a phrase or two of comprehensive personal detail which had the savor of being unknown to the world at large the lady we just passed mrs lyons is the wife of the junior senator from nevada her husband fell in love with her on the stage of a mining town theatrical troupe that tall man with the profuse wavy hair and prominent nose that's congressman ross of colorado the owner of one of the largest cattle ranches in the far west it is said that he has never smoked never tasted a glass of liquor and never gambled in his life in the course of these remarks mr elton simply stated his interesting facts without comment he avoided censorious or satirical solutions to the people to whom he called selma's attention on the contrary his observations suggested sympathetically that he desired to point out to her the interesting personalities of the capital and that he regarded the entertainment as an occasion to behold the strong men and women of the country in their lustre and dignity as they passed the lady in pomegranate velvet selma said in her turn that is mrs coleman i believe senator coleman's child wife she added what was in her thoughts i understand that the society people here have taken her up yes she has become a conspicuous figure in washington i remember her mr lyons when she was addie farr before she married congressman polson of kentucky she was a dashing-looking girl in those days with her black eyes and black ringlets i remember she had a coltish way of tossing her head the story is that when she accepted polson another kentuckian a young planter who was in love with her drank laudanum now as you say she is being taken up socially and her husband the senator is very proud of her success after all if a woman is ambitious and has tact what can she ask better than to be the wife of the united states senator he paused a moment then with a gallant sidelong glance of his companion resumed in a concise whisper which had the effect of a disclosure prophecies especially political prophecies are dangerous affairs but it seems to me not improbable that before many years have passed the wife of senator lyons will be equally prominent be as conspicuous socially as the wife of senator coleman selma blushed but not wholly with pleasure socially conspicuous before many years a splendid prophecy which went beyond the limit of horace elton's usual caution for he combined the faculty of habitual discretion with his chatty proclivities was deemed for selma by the rasping imitation that she was not conspicuous yet worse still his statement shattered the hope which flossie's fluent assertions had already disturbed that she was to find in washington a company of congenial spirits who would appreciate her at her full value forthwith and would join with her and under her leadership in resisting the encroachments of women of the stamp of mrs williams i am very ambitious for my husband mr elton and of course i have hope do hope one day that he will become senator what you said just now is the power of his voice to arouse the moral enthusiasm of the people seems to be impressively true 
I should be glad to be a Senator's wife, for I wish to help him. I wish to demonstrate the truth of the principles to which both our lives are dedicated. But I hope that I might help him now, that my mission might be clear at once. It seems, according to you, that a congressman's wife is not of much importance, that her hands are tied. Practically so, unless unless she has unusual social facility and the right sort of acquaintances. Beauty, wealth, and ambition are valuable aids, but I am always sorry for women who come here without friends and the right sort of introduction. At any rate, to answer your question, frankly, a congressman's wife has her spurs to win, just as he has. If you were to set up housekeeping here, Mrs. Lyon, I have no doubt that a woman of your attractions and capabilities would soon make a niche for herself. You have had social experience, which Addie Farr, for instance, was without. I lived in New York for some years with my husband, Mr. Little, so I have a number of Eastern acquaintances. I remember you were talking with Mrs. Gregory Williams when I introduced you. The people with whom she is staying are among the most fashionable in Washington. What I said had reference to the wife of the everyday congressman who comes to Washington expecting recognition, not to Mrs. James O. Lyons. Selma bit her lip. She recognized the death knell of her cherished expectations. She was not prepared to acknowledge formally her discomfiture and her disappointment, but she believed that Mr. Elton, though a plain man, had comprehensive experience, and that he spoke with shrewd knowledge of the situation. She felt sure that he was not trying to deceive or humiliate her. It was clear that Washington was contaminated also. I dare say I should get on here well enough for a time, though I should find difficulty in considering that it was right to give so much time to merely social matters. But Mr. Lyons and I have already decided that I can be of more use to him at present in Benham. There I feel at home. I am known, and I have my friends, and I have important work, literary lectures, and the establishment of a large public hospital underway. If the time comes, as you kindly predict, that my husband has chosen a United States senator, I shall be glad to return here and accept the responsibilities of our position. But I warn you, Mr. Elton, I warn the people of Washington, she added with a wave of her fan, while her eyes sparkled with a stern light, that when I am one of their leaders, I shall do away with some of the false customs of the present administration. I shall insist on preserving our American social traditions and violate. Here was the grain of consolation in the case, which she clutched at and held up before her mind's eye as a new stimulus to her patriotism and her conscience. Both Mr. Elton and Flossie had indicated that there was a point at which exclusiveness was compelled to stop in this haughty disregard of democratic ideals. There were certain women whom the people who worshipped lack of enthusiasm and made an idol of cynicism were obliged to heed and recognize. They might be able to ignore the intelligence and social originality of the congressman's wife, but they dared not turn a cold shoulder on the wife of a United States senator. And if a woman, if she, were to occupy this proud position, what a satisfaction it would be to assert the power which belonged to it asserted in behalf of the cause for which she had suffered so much her disappointment tasted bitterly in her mouth and she was conscious of stern revolt but the new hope had already taken possession of her fancy and she hastened to prove it by the ethical standard without which all hopes were valueless to her even now had any one told her that the ruling passion of her life was to be wooed and made much of by the very people she professed to despise she would have spurned the accuser as a malicious slanderer nor indeed would it have been wholly true Mrs. Williams had practically told her this at their last meeting in New York, and its utterance had convinced her, on the contrary, of repugnance to them, and of her desire to be the leader of a social protest against them. Now here in Washington, of all places, she was confronted by the bitter suggestion that she was without allies, and that her enemies were the keepers of the door which led to leadership and power. Despondency stared her in the face. But a splendid possibility, a probability, was left. She would not forsake her principles. She would not lower her flag. She would return to Benham. Washington refused her homage now, but it should listen to her and bow before her some day. 
as the wife of one of the real leaders of the state, whom society did not dare to ignore. End of chapter 24